Amen. Psalm 22 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, In you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and in you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet... You are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord... Do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow down all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Isn't she cute? (laughs) Amen. That's Caitlin. And she is appropriately pregnant. Um, She is... She's not letting herself go. She is. I mean, I think even this week it dropped like, I don't know, I don't know the right terms, but we are ready to have this third baby. Um, we have two kids, um, and man, our lives are just 
kind of nuts right now. I don't know if you can relate with that. Uh, I have a name. It's Tyler, and um, Kaylin is my wife, and we've been here at Bethel for about six years now. This feels like home. I think we're just going to stick around. Um, we've loved being a part of this community, getting a chance to serve in different ways. I've gotten to be a deacon for a while. In fact, they wanted the best-looking deacon to be here to preach to you guys. Chris Foreman said no, so um, they, they picked me. Uh, Caitlin and I are uh, part of a small group, uh, story time we call it. Um, we call them life, yeah, you're my hype man for the rest of the day. Uh, just to get a chance to be a part of a group of people that love you and know you, so if that's not the, the case for you, I'd love to invite you to reach out to me. I'm the guy who does that, and so... Um, Actually, even more than that, just kind of shameless plug, if you want to lead a group, I would love to know that if that's, if that's you. I'd love to meet with you because that's a bigger need right now than we've had in the past. Hashtag, we've been in a pandemic and nobody's been meeting together. Uh, but we come to you this week, as I thought I would be coming to you when I was doing this prep, really, really tired. But I'm actually coming to you pretty well rested, which is not normal because I'm usually, you know, super tired all the time because we have almost three-year-old and a, an almost two-year-old and Caitlin like I said is appropriately pregnant and so life is busy but for the last week we've been at a place called Pine Cove ever heard of it um, we, we've loved it we've loved the whole week uh, in fact our Devo counselor is here shout out to her uh, she did an incredible job this week to help us feel rested um, while I was there this week Pine Cove is a uh, an amazing place. They serve you. They, they cut up your kids' food for you. I mean, can you imagine being at home and somebody's like, hey, can I cut your food for you? It's fantastic. Um, and you as a parent, you don't have to think about anything. And as I was sitting there just watching these counselors, I was like, weren't those the good old days? Like, and I just thought about how awesome it was to serve. I mean, I met my wife at camp. Um, shout out to you for saying yes. Uh, being able to, to make some really good friends, the best friends of my life. Um, were made at camp, and so what a treat it was. Do you ever get nostalgic when you think about the good old days? But really quickly, I was like, oh my gosh, the good old days were quite miserable. I mean, I can, I can remember walking around um, always sweaty. No matter what time of year it was, I was always sweaty, and there was like gold bond in my back pocket somewhere, and you're just like powdering all day, mostly under the pit area, because you're constantly sweaty. I never had a voice. Uh, it was it was quite miserable. I worked with the youngest kids camp, and you're like, I don't know if you're a parent, but like, where are your shoes? Like, who took your shoes? Why are you wearing his shoes? Where are your underwear? What, how did you get naked? We're walking to the pool. The pool is closed. It's thundering outside. Camp Working at camp was miserable a lot of times. And when I'm in it, I'm not thinking about the nostalgic, oh, those are the good old days. I just wish there was a way, as Andy Bernard said, the great theologian, I wish there were a way to know you were in the good old days when you were still in them, right? Like right now, Caitlin and I are in the good old days, and everybody's like, oh, my gosh, I just wish I could go back and be in those days. They're so awesome. But like, no, I don't feel that right now. I feel very much detached from that. I feel very much apart from that. I feel... <laughs> I feel like this is a form of suffering that, you know, not everyone gets to feel. What a privilege. Um, and when I'm in it, when I'm in suffering, when I'm feeling it, it, it is very heavy. And I have, I tend to have some feels. And I was kind of looking back, you know, as I was 
prepping for this is like, man, I just, I didn't learn that for a long time. I don't think I really learned that until probably in the last 10 years. So that really, I mean, I spent 20 something years living in a world where I would have said, too blessed to be stressed. Anybody ever heard that or said that? Um, some of you just vomited out loud, gutturally. Like, though, though there's a point where you can kind of get to the, the blessing, there's a part that's just very visceral that just comes out when you're in the midst of stuff. And I would have, I would have just sort of negated that and put it aside. Uh, and it took me a while to really be okay with not being okay with actually having issues. And so that, for me, it cost me about $25,000 to figure that out. And I got a master's degree in counseling, and I'm a counselor here in town. So for some of you, my prayer is that it doesn't cost you that much money to learn that lesson. Maybe you can just go see a counselor or a friend or somebody that's way cheaper. Uh, I just didn't know how to do it, so the Lord used that as a vessel, as a tool to learn how to do that. Um, But I couldn't imagine actually having emotions and expressing those to myself for sure, to others, why would I do that? And to God, how can I imagine shaking my fist at him and saying, why have you done this? Why am I enduring this? Why is this suffering happening? Too often, I think we view uh, emotions, the, 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 the sufferings that we feel as sort of trash or treasure, as sort of a, a switch. Uh, it's like on or off. And, and some of you know the on people. They're like, like, how are you doing? You know, like, I shouldn't ask this person how they're doing. They're just, they're really going to tell me. Like, they're going to tell me how they're doing. And I'm a therapist, so, like, I get paid to do that. And so I understand, like, there's a reward at the end. Like, I, there's some exchange here. You're paying me for a service. I want to do that. I care about you. But for some people, you're like, like, I'm literally walking down the stairs, and you're, like, telling me your whole life story. It's, a, it's like, all on. And then the, for others, you're like, I can't get him to talk about anything. He just won't express himself. Um, it's a switch. I think what we really need is more of a dial to be able to have to, to be able to have them, but not be overwhelmed by them. For them to be not just seen as treasure, where they're the, the best thing ever. You all should have emotions. We should talk about them all the time. Down the stairs, up the stairs, to the parking lot, back home. Or we can kind of go the opposite end and go, well, they're trash. Like God said, we need to be okay. Too blessed to be stressed. Why would we, why would I have emotions? Why would I feel something? Why would I express the fact that I'm feeling so terrible? I consider a proper understanding of our emotional state, our internal state, the state of our own bodies to be paramount to adequately understanding the goodness of God in our own lives. So if we can understand what's going wrong, we can figure out what to do with it. I'm more of a practical man myself, physical, mental distress included. And suffering is going to come to all of us. If it hasn't gotten here yet, it will come. Uh, For me, maybe it came when Eden was born, and like, I'm literally, I don't know, Kaylin, do you remember, like, we were just like on an exercise ball, like all night. It felt like the girl just would not sleep. She would not go to sleep. When she got to sleep, praise God, she would stay there. Um, I don't know if any of you have had kids. Um, some of you are probably like, I don't understand. Like, they just went to bed at 11, or, you know, 7, and they woke up at 7, 12 hours of sleep. Um, that's not everybody's story. Uh, <laughs> Uh, raising kids, I, I think in general, that's the stage of life I'm in. So if those are my examples, I'm sorry. That's where I'm at right now. Hopefully you can relate. Know a friend, read a book. Uh, sometimes she just kicks me in the face for no good reason. Oh, not Caitlin. Yes. Eden. She's three. Um, and there's, there's times that the suffering that we endure is, is like, why, why won't you put on your pull-up? 
Because what I know is that you're going to urinate all over the bed if you don't put this on. And I know that it's going to cause me more stress to clean that up. And, and maybe that's not the stage of life you're in. Perhaps it's a bit more normal. Job's not satisfying, not feeling it in my marriage. Sometimes it's a little bigger. Sometimes it's a, a little smaller. But the, the reality is that it's going to happen. Jesus said it. In this life, you will have trouble. Sorry about you. It's what you signed up for. Actually, you didn't sign up for it. You were just born. Sorry. In this world, you will face trouble. And we shouldn't be surprised by that. But we are. But we shouldn't. There's some tension there. I don't understand it. Sometimes it comes in the form of a big, huge bang. Cancer, you know, a big, huge job loss. It happens immediately. You find out your wife's having an affair. Uh, these are, that's the world that I work in. So sorry if I, I give a little more extreme examples. But, like, this is the work. This is happening. I imagine it may be happening in even our own congregation, that these big bombs are happening and that suffering happens really fast. Sometimes it's more of a slow trickle, and you wake up and you're like, I don't know who my wife is anymore. I don't think my parents understand me. Like, I'm so distant from that. The suffering tends to trickle in. For me, the last year has been a, you know, from a per- personal anecdote. Um, it's been a tough year in a lot of ways. It's been a tough year for, for a, a specific health concern that I've been struggling with, and maybe you can relate. Um, but it's been, t- and it's been taking the whole year. It's not like not life-threatening or anything, but it's been a nag. Have you ever had that? Like it just, it's like, I just can't figure this out. And then on top of that, one, um, it, right before Christmas, I was like blowing the, the lawn or I was uh, getting the leaves. You know how in Texas they all fall like, and then you just like, how do we get these up? So I was like using my lawnmower to get them up and then bagging them afterwards. And in that process, I lost my hearing at a certain frequency. And if you've ever lost your hearing at a certain frequency, I don't know if this is the case for everybody. I'm not a doctor, but it started this ringing in my ear. Maybe, do y'all hear a ringing in the room right now? Probably not, but I do. It's like, it's like my little friend. He's with me all the time. And it's progressively gotten lower and lower, and I think the Lord is doing a good work in my body from, from a healing standpoint. But I can tell you this. The night that it happened, like, there's this progressive anxiety that's ensuing in my own body. And the suffering of hearing something that nobody else hears, it's maddening. I mean, I was in the fetal position. I was crying. I don't cry. I'm not a crier, but I was weeping, and I found myself unable to control it. I could not keep it on all in. And the question that I was asking, I wasn't really asking it at the time. I was just like really, really mad and really, really sad, and I was feeling all the things. But the question that I ask, and I think maybe the question that we ask when, the, when we're in the midst of suffering is not like, why is this happening in general? I think for most of us, we would go, suffering happens. Like, that's, that's kind of par for the course. Um, but, like, why is this happening to me? Not why does it happen in general, but, like, I know, I know that there are other people who deal with this sort of thing, but why is it happening to me? Why is it happening to me right now? Why is it happening to our family? Why do we have to deal with this? Why is suffering at our door? I know it's supposed to happen. And I got to the point where I couldn't just rest on the truth alone. It just it had to come out somehow. There was this visceral, physical reaction. And if it hasn't come to your door yet, Merry Christmas. It will come. And my hope is that in, in that process that we're not surprised by it, that it doesn't... It doesn't take us by storm necessarily that we're aware of it, but then we know what to do with it. From a practical standpoint, what do we do with it? And I think what Caitlin was reading to us is come, comes from Psalm 22. That's where we'll be today, so if you have your Bible, feel free to turn there. We'll be in Psalm 22. Um, and the, the reason why I'm going to quote Matthew 27:46 before that is because that verse has always really confused me. 
Um, and in Matthew 27, 46, you can sort of, you know, do the whole finger thing and go to the other one. Matthew 27, 46 has always confused me. It's Jesus' final words on the cross. You know, he's, he's like, at about the ninth hour, we're, we're getting to the end of Jesus' life. And so these are the last words that he ever says to, to us before he's going to die. Well, so the last words that a person says are really important, I think. And the last words that Jesus says are this. Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani. Any Hebrew scholars out there, Aramaic scholars? Good. So we'll go with that pronunciation. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Shortly after that, he yields up his spirit to God and dies. Okay, what a bummer, right? Like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That always confused me. Like, why is, does he not know? Like, why is he saying that? Why have you forsaken me? Why not, like, praise God for the life I've gotten to live. I'm too blessed to be stressed, going home to be with Jesus. This is awesome. You know, see you guys later. That'll be a lot of fun. No, he says, why have you forsaken me? What does he mean by that? I think what we'll find in those perplexing words is that Jesus was doing something, um, and he was doing something that I didn't really understand what he was doing, so it makes a lot of sense. And, and it's, it's kind of like when we say, have you heard that song? Maybe you guys can finish this for me, um, and I'm going to sing it. You guys want a song? Yeah. Channel my inner McGill here. When I sing it, y'all finish it for me. Ain't no mountain. Y'all heard that one? Who sings it, though? It's bonus points later. Marvin Gaye, am I right? He probably sang one version. We'll go with that. Here's another one. I want to know, have you ever? That's good. I, I did look up some, some new songs I Googled. I said new songs that, like, you know, post-millennials would know. And as it turns out, like, I just don't like any of them. I think they're all terrible. And so I'm not going to quote one, so we're going to go with a throwback. But for the millennials, right? But it ain't no lie, baby. Bye, bye, bye. Yes, four of you loved that song. I think what Jesus is doing on the cross is saying, have you heard that song? Have you heard that song? Psalm 22 is what he's saying on the cross. And if that's what he's saying, then Psalm 22 is where we do need to go. And when we're going to Psalm 22, um, we need to be aware of what's happening in Psalms in general. Psalms 22, or Psalm 22, uh, was written uh, in the book of Psalms, uh, which is which is to say that we probably need to understand what a psalm is. And my first reaction to psalms, some of you are just like, oh man, I just get up in the morning, I just read me a psalm every day, and I'm, like, I'm not making fun of you, I really think that that's a really rich treasure to have, but for me, it's, it's really difficult to live within those emotional words, just because, like I said, I didn't grow up with them. I'm more of a practical, where do we get to the action step when I read my Apple Terms of Service, scroll, 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 accept, done. Um, Sorry to say that when I accepted my mortgage terms, I don't know if you've ever gotten a mortgage, there's like 6,000 things you have to sign, and so you're just like, this is this, this is this, and you're like, okay, great, go with that. Um, last time I went to the doctor, they don't even give you anything anymore. They're just signing this little pad, and they're like, this says we can do whatever, and you're like, okay, great, we'll go with that. Like, I'm just like, get to the point, what is it? And Psalms don't tend to do that for me. Sometimes they tend to be more like just this visceral expression of these, uh, the emotional 
state of a man's heart, uh, which I think they're very valuable, to be sure. But the challenge for me is to figure out what do I do with them? And today I want to figure out what do we do with that? What do we do with this Psalm 22 exists in the book of Psalms? Psalms are the inspired responses of human hearts to God's revelation of himself in law, history, and prophecy. We get a window into their soul, and they're inspired, which is good news for us because we get to go, okay, we're going to feel this later. How did they deal with it? And it's been preserved uh, for a very long time for us to do something with. So as we read Psalm 22, we're kind of seeing this as a model, um, a model of how to deal with suffering. Uh, how, does, how, does it, how does it look for me as a, as a believer to have a godly response to suffering in my life, to the ringing in my ears, to the, uh, to the stresses of modern life here? Uh, the New Testament writers quoted the book of Psalms more frequently than any other book in the Old Testament. Over 400 partial or full quotations in the, book of, uh, in the New Testament to the book of Psalms. The next um, heavy hitter was Isaiah with 47, so 400 beats 47. Psalm 22, David wrote it. It's important to know that. Um, it's a psalm of lament. Y'all know what that is because y'all read a lot of lament, I'm sure. Passion, expression of grief or sorrow. Uh, one writer says the psalms of lament are a model of godly response to suffering. That's good news, because we're going to have a lot of that in life, so it would make sense that we would know how to deal with that. One of the things to remember as we read this, and we're going to get to it, I promise, is that one way to read Scripture is to begin with the end in mind, um, to know how the story ends, because we've, we've already seen this movie. Like, this movie has already came out. Uh, you can't watch Sixth Sense the same way if you've already seen the movie. Have you guys seen Sixth Sense? It's like really old. It's a movie about a guy who's dead the whole time. Sorry, spoiler alert. He's dead the whole time. Some of you are like, I'm never watching that. Good. So the entire way through the movie, you're thinking that he's alive. And at the end, you realize, oh, he was dead the whole time. Spoiler, right? If, as we read scripture, we can begin with the end in mind. We're like, oh, I know where this is going. Psalm 22 is pointing to the messianic nature of what Jesus did on the cross. And if you have time later in your Bible study, which you'll be at instead of 4th of July celebrations, I'm sure, just kind of reading through Scripture, praying for everybody else who's out on the lake, uh, go back and read Matthew 27. Um, have yourself a day. It'll be a lot of fun. We're not going to flip back and forth a whole lot, but Matthew 27 is Jesus saying, Psalm 22. Like, have you read that? Have you heard that song? Uh, you can also approach the Scripture by reading it as if it's the first time. Reading as if you're only aware of David's response. And I think we're going to end up doing both. But to be able to see it in light of what David is experiencing is to go, well, actually, a human, not a God, experienced this, um, this really extreme form of suffering. Maybe I can connect with that. Here's the big point. So in case you guys are like, oh, Eric's not here. I'm going to peace out. Hopefully Tyler doesn't see me. I will see you, but it's, you're free to leave. The point is, what God's done in the past is a model and promise of what he'll do in the future. He's just really creative, and he doesn't always work the same way. What God's done in the past is a model and really a promise based on his character of what he'll do in the future. He's just really creative, and he doesn't always work the same way. So we can't look back and go, well, God's going to kill all my enemies, or God's going to totally heal my mom. But I just don't know what that looks like, because God's really creative, and he works in different ways. Let's get into it. We'll be coming back to this several times. As we read through this, 
remembering the lens of what, what is David experiencing, the first words are the words that Jesus says on the cross, my God, my God, in verse 1, why have you forsaken me? And I promise we're not going to go through literally every one of these. There's like 31 verses, I promise you. We, pfft, quick. Why have you abandoned me? There's almost this surprise nature in, of David when he experiences this suffering. Why have you abandoned me? It's like God has given him this suffering, and he's like, I just don't know where to file that. Like, I don't know where to put that in my filing cabinet. Why have you forsaken me? It's as if he's an alien come from Mars, and you've handed him some oven mitts and said, hey, can you help with dinner? And he's like, I just, I don't have a file for that. And then later you give him a baseball glove, and you're like, hey, let's go play baseball. And he's like, what's baseball? I don't know where that fits. And so David's been handed this suffering, and he's like, I don't know what to do with that. I understand when other people deal with that, that's, that's fine, but now it's come to my house. What do I do with that? He's desperate. He's not sugarcoating it. Verse 2, he says, why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Already, I'm immediately identifying with that, and the, the word picture that I have is, as I'm driving along, and I'm talking with Caitlin in the car about something really spiritual, I'm sure, um, the state of her heart, how she feels about everything, um, how much I love her and desire her and want to cherish you. And I hear this in the background, this, Daddy, Daddy. And then she'll give me some instruction. Eden is yelling at me from the back. And I, I hear it, but I'm not acknowledging it because I'm trying to finish my point. And before I know it, it's a, it's a desperate plea and cry. And then, of course, in me being me, I'm like, yes, dear, what do you need? Daddy loves you. Um, or, what do you need? Like, what's wrong with you? Um, which I don't think is God's response to us. But the cry is deafening. Like, and she just needs juice. That's all she needed. So she's hydrated. I think about that also in the light. Like, you know, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me? Far from me? I, I think about my whole health ear thing. Um, I found myself literally on the, the ground after the kids had gone to bed, after Caitlin was asleep, when I couldn't sleep because when you put your head on the pillow and you have ringing in your ears, like, it's really loud. And so I'm, like, in the living room, beating my hand against the floor, saying, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just crying because I, I can't go to sleep, and I can't turn the TV up loud enough. And so I'm beckoning the Lord, can you hear me? And it feels like he's very far from me. Um, we're in a season of Frozen. You guys been there? You're shaking your head like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad we're out of that, onto Moana or whatever it is you're doing now. But Frozen is, there's this two characters, Anna and Elsa, and Anna is so distraught that her sister Elsa is in, in another room, not listening to her, not paying attention to her, not loving her. Uh, they used to play, but now they don't. And so she's like at the door, okay, bye. You know, that's kind of how the song ends. And I just have that picture of me and God, like, can you hear me? God, it's Margaret. Like, I'm, on the, I'm at the door. Can you, can you hear me? Like, I'm, are you paying attention to me? That metaphor breaks down at some point because I don't think God's in another room, like, shooting ice crystals everywhere. Um, <laughs> I really do think he's paying attention to me. But that's my feeling. Um, I find so much comfort in that, though, in a weird way because... It's, it seems like what David is kind of showing, and even in the songs of all lament, you can, there's, there's a ton of lament. There's the most, more, more lament songs, psalms than there are any others, that it's okay. And here's the point. If you're taking notes, I'm sure you, you all are very studious and taking notes on your phone, like, that's okay. 
And, and in honor of Benjamin Franklin, founding father, here's the first point. Honesty is the best policy, right? You can be honest. I don't think the Lord's afraid of you. I think I've felt that way. I feel like he's afraid of my groanings from a child. I feel like I needed to be put on a good suit. God is good all the time. Amen. David didn't sugarcoat it. That's not what he does here in the first part. It seems so far that it's okay to be honest about it. Perhaps there's something for you that seems confusing, sad, or out of sorts. I think David would say, I've been right where you're at. I've literally been where you're at, and we'll get there where he's been at, probably a worse state of where we may have found ourselves with our first world problems oftentimes. But David would probably give us some instruction, like, you know, you could totally write a song about that, which I think, yes, Matt's probably already writing a song right now about that. He's, we've lost him. He's, he's writing a song about his experience here this morning. David would say the same, like, that's okay. Write a song about it. Let that song come to my ears. I want to hear it. God wants to hear that. He's not afraid of that. It's okay to be honest. We don't have to stick our head in the sand. We don't have to say too blessed to be stressed because your suffering is real. It may not be what David experienced, but it's okay to be honest about it. Tell, tell God, tell a friend, tell yourself. It goes on, yet you are holy. He is set apart. He is other than. He's not like the gods of the land. Even so, he's wholly involved. He goes on, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and were delivered. They cried. You see, you see in these couple of verses here in 4 and 5, he's, he's calling attention to something that's been true about God in the past. Because what we know is that the way that God's acted in the past is a model for how he's going to engage with us in the future. He rescued Abraham and Lot. You guys remember that? It's nice to not be a pillar of salt. He rescued Joseph from the pit. He called him into being one of the, the, the biggest leaders in, in the country of Egypt. He rescued those said people from Egypt. He brought them through the wilderness. He brought them into the land of Canaan. He rescued them from the pagan nature of the, the land of Canaan around them. God is a God who rescues. David is remembering that. He's telling his soul that. David is remembering how God has acted in the past. God is moved by the groanings of this people. God hears you when you call. He is not distant. This is what David's reminding himself of. Here's the takeaway. Take time to remember and reflect. Take some time maybe after you've enjoyed your jet skis today, to remember and reflect on what God's done in the past. Because remember, what God's done in the past is a model of how he's going to engage in the future. The future is now. So how God has moved and acted in the world, both in Scripture and in your own life, not just how has God engaged with the people of Israel, but how has God engaged in your own lives? How has he engaged with your family? He is who he is. That's the way he acts we read the Jesus storybook. Do y'all read that? Jesus storybook Bible? Nod your head. Some of you are like a little more removed from that, but the JSB, we call it. Um, we don't call it that, but we could. Uh, I think Sally Lloyd-Jones does a great job of pointing back, you know, beginning with the end in mind that Jesus is coming. There's echoes at the end of every book. Even when you read Jonah and how God rescues the people of, of Nineveh, what, is, what does he say? God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, and he said no. You know, she's just really adamant about that. Um, she doesn't get the part that he eventually said yes, and that God did rescue the people of Nineveh. God is a rescuer. That's who he is. That's who he's been in the past. That's how he'll act in the present. It's just what he does. The rest of the chapter continues this model of complaint, petition, 
and an ensuing hope and praise. The rope upon which our hope hangs is in God's unchanging character. C.S. Lewis said it this way, because you've got to quote him, right? It's easy to say you believe a rope to be strong and sound as long as you're merely using it to cord, that is to like tie up a, a box. But suppose you had to hang, up, hang by that rope over a precipice or a cliff. Wouldn't you then first discover how much you really trusted it? It's in the midst of our suffering and trial that we find where we're hanging our hope. In verses 8 through 11, he trusts in the Lord. You took me from my mother's womb. Uh, Be not far from me, he says in verse 11. For trouble is near and there's none to help. His hope had to be rested in the character of God and who he was. A a dear professor at um, DTS named Stan Toussaint said it this way about hope. Hope is desire. This is probably something worth writing down and kind of keeping in your back pocket or your fridge. Um, It's desire with expectancy. Omit either desire or expectancy and hope ceases. When one has genuine hope, he will with it also have perseverance, joy, and assurance. Hope is desire with expectancy. We not only have something that we look forward to and we desire, sort of like when you're desiring to be married and you're engaged, you, you are certainly hoping that you'll be married. You, you are certainly expecting to be married. You certainly have a lot of desire to be married. I can tell you that. That's how we created three children. Scripture says that when hope is deferred, it makes your heart sick. It makes your heart sick. And in that, we find ourselves depressed, lonely, tired, restless, irritable, discontent. When we lose hope, we lose sight of God's character. It's very normal because David felt it. But the psalm doesn't end there. He goes on, and he's honest again. To summarize verses 12 to 18, you see this very descriptive, very agonizing version of what Jesus went through, but also David's kind of first writing that. So if you have time later, compare the two, but he says it this way. Bulls are encompassing me. His bones are out of joint. He can count his bones. Can you... Imagine how agonizing that must be to count your own bones. Um, because some of us haven't seen our rib bones. It's been some, it's been some time, right? <laughs> They're in there. David could count them. Jesus could count them. They were visible, which probably means he wasn't eating very much, and he was starved, and he was feeling very terrible, very ill. The enemies are encircling him. As I read this, it's, it's kind of difficult to go exactly there, to exactly the space that David's in, but to, to identify somewhat, I think, is, is still appropriate in the sufferings that we endure in life. I mean, for, for some of you, and this is kind of a privilege that I have as a therapist, is to be able to go to those places that feel like the worst place we've ever been, uh, the worst place that you've ever been. Uh, and a question that I'll often ask, is has it ever gotten so bad that you didn't want to be alive anymore? And that's dark, right? That's very deep. Um, but I would imagine if, if somebody asked you, or maybe, maybe you know someone, who's got, it's gotten that bad. Now, I don't hear David saying, I want to be dead, but I can guarantee you if I can ever see my bones, I'd probably go, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I think I've lived a full life. It is finished. Let's be done with that. I think when we think about the worst place you've ever been, what does that bring up for you? And has it ever gotten that bad? What do you do with that? 
If that's you, I think David would say, you're not alone. You can be honest about that. The truth is God's not surprised. And David goes on with a petition to act. He bases his petition on God's character. What God's done in the past, remember, is a model and a promise of what he's going to do in the future. He's just really creative. He doesn't always work the same way. You see here in verse 19, But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You see how much David believes in his heart. God is who he says he is. He remembers in verse 21, um, this, well, before it gets to 21, he remembers this. And here's the takeaway. Here's what, what's something worth writing down. is God can, and he cares enough to act. God can. He's powerful. He's not impotent. Um, he doesn't need any, anything that we bring uh, to actually act. And he cares enough. That's on our mantle. Well, at least it was. Now it says something else. But it was very helpful during that season if God can and he cares. Because there's oftentimes where I believe that God is very powerful and he's very strong and he's very mighty. My God is so big and so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. We say that to Eden. I don't say it. Caitlin does it because she's our uh, singer. But will he? He is. He is so strong and so mighty. But does he actually care enough to actually intervene in my life? David believes that he is. So if I believe, the takeaway is that God can and God cares, it's going to affect what I do. And then he remembers again in verse 21, You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. You see this hope renewed, this trust, this confident expectation that God is who he said he was and he's going to act this way. Um, my question for myself after this was like, what's my wild ox? What has God rescued me from? What has God done? Um, and, and I was thinking maybe in East Texas there are, there are wild oxen. I don't know. If any of you are from here, maybe you have wrestled some wild oxen uh, in your day. I particularly uh, stay away from the wild oxen myself. And for, the, for you, though, what, what is that thing that God has rescued you from? It may not be a wild ox, but what does that represent in your own life? What has he done? How has he delivered you? And when that happens, when we recognize and remember what God's done, we petition him for action. This leads David's heart to praise. This is the final part of this, uh, this lament. Praise in his own life as well as a call for others to do the same. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him, all you offspring of Jacob. Glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. I've literally been uh, all week kind of examining my own, uh, my own state as a husband what am I to do uh, in response to what God's done uh, in, in, in relationship to my wife? Like, how would I do this with my wife? How would I do this with my family? So I suppose that's the question for you as husbands, fathers. How are you to tell of God's praise to the next generation? How will you do that? Do your kids know how much God has done for you, or do they only hear the first part of this lament? My God, my God, why are you so far from me? Do they see your disconnection, your disengagement, or do they see you pointing back? This is who God is. This is who he's always been, and this is who he's going to be in the future. In terms of your wife, so talking to husbands with your wives, a question that I was asked this week that um, I just didn't like getting asked it, uh, but it's, that usually means it's a really good question, is what if your wife, insert your wife's name, knew in the deepest part of her soul that you were her strongest support, her most encouraging support in the Lord. Like, what if she knew that? 
as God's representative as human, as a, as a husband, what would it look like if your wife knew that I am her strongest support? Wives, you can also ask yourself that, but I'm speaking mostly to husbands. Like, what if Caitlin knew in her, the depths of her soul that I can sing the praises of the Lord, that I'm your strongest support in the midst of her toughest time, that I am there for her, pointing her back to the Father. It ends with this, a reminder of what God's done in the past. He has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Again, a, a reminder that this is how God's worked. It's hard for me to remember that God can and that he, care, that he cares. Um, uh, an encouraging song recently, When My Phone Died, uh, is usually how I end up listening to the radio. I don't know how you guys find yourself to the radio, but I don't listen to the radio very often. Um, but I found myself listening to a song which was encouraging. I know you're able and I know you can save through the fire with your mighty hand. <laughs> this is probably a better rhythm than this. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. I know the sorrow and I know the hurt would all go away if you just say the word. But even if you don't, my hope is you alone. I have this image of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walking into the flames saying, even if God doesn't rescue for this, we'll burn because we know that he can and that he cares for us and, and we are going to petition that he would indeed show up. But even if he doesn't, I will trust in you. My hope is in you. We know how this ends. Ultimate redemption doesn't always happen right now. Sometimes it happens at death. And even in that is a gift. This ends with a declaration of God's kingship and admonition to worship, verses 25 to 27. In 28, this, this is the fun, the fun thing for me to read. I just, it just stirs my heart when I read verse 31, uh, but I'll read 28 to 31. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. For those right now and in the age to come, posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. And then Jesus is on the cross and saying, it is finished. He has done a thing. And because of that thing, we have hope. He has done in the past. He's done it more recently in his death on the cross. It is finished. He's done it in a future sense. He will make all things new. Because what God's done in the past is a model of how he's going to engage in the future. The things that I want you to remember is be honest. Be honest with God. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with your spouse. If you're in, in, in a season of suffering, whatever that looks like for you, I mean, it's been a year. It's, it has been a year. But for a lot of us, even as I talk to my clients, as I talk to my friends, it's not just been a year because we were locked up for a while. It's been a year because we are humans. And it's just been hard. Marriages have struggled. Maybe the pandemic really did put more stress on the other things, but it wasn't just a virus that, that this was... Um, it's been so hard for people. It's been the fact of being human. Our marriages are, are I've just noticed, more difficult. Um, kids can be more unruly. Uh, people still lose jobs. Like, life is just hard. And what I think David is beckoning us to do is just to be honest about that. Tell somebody. Tell God. Take time to remember and reflect on what God's done in the past. I do this terribly. Um, Caitlin is our reflector. Find out who in your relationship or in your friendship group is going to ask you those tough questions. What has God done for you in the past? Not just what has God done lately, but how has God moved and acted in the past? Who is he? What is his character? And how is he engaged in your life? I know um, 
and, and the next one is, know at some level God can, he is not impotent, and that he cares. This is the toughest one for me. Is like, I can tell you the truth, that God is good, amen, but does he care enough to intervene in my life? We can petition him. We can beat on the floor. We can beat our hands on the door and say, listen to me, answer me, daddy, daddy, listen to me. And finally, praise him because he has done it. Tell a friend, the story's not over. We've seen the end of the movie. Um, he's dead the whole time. Um, <laughs> Jesus is alive, amen? amen. Um, Psalm 22 is an excellent uh, place to find the worst kind of suffering that's ever happened. Um, but I think for me, it's a place that I can identify with to go. Even in the worst of it, Jesus is saying, listen up. God is good. Also, this is really terrible. Two things can be true at the same time. It's okay to say, I'm blessed. It's also okay to say, but I'm really stressed. If you're not engaged in community, find some, tell somebody. That's God's hands and feet, literally his hands and feet. In this church, for sure, because I don't know how many of you are going to talk to one another after this is over, but in small groups of gatherings, in men's groups and women's groups, life groups, um, supper clubs. We find that we can have people with skin on that care about us and want to hear our story. Find those people. Be safe in the 4th of July. Love you guys. God, thank you so much for this season of life that you've given us as a gift to know you as our provider, as our protector, as our healer, as our comforter, as our support. You are good. We proclaim that. We know that it's true. And we know that you are not far away and that you are very near. May you be nearer to us today than you were yesterday. We love you. Amen.